This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, it's the most unoriginal question in the world. When you're little, somebody, a million people are always asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm sure everybody listening right now remembers being asked that. And, you know, they probably said doctor, lawyer, singer, actress, astronaut, what have you. After going on a four-day cruise as a child, my podcast guest today was convinced she had to be a cruise director. So her dad told her, you know what, you can do anything you want, including drive the thing. And that is exactly what she set out to do. After attending California Maritime Academy, Kate McHugh worked her way up through the ranks until one fateful day she got a call from the president of Celebrity Cruises offering her the position as commanding officer. But you know what? Being the first one to reach any peak has its perilous moments. Her climb was nothing short of challenging. Captain Kate McHugh, the first American woman to captain a cruise ship, joins us on the Everyone Talks to Liz podcast today. Hi, Kate. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited. I mean, I heard your story and I said, excuse me, drop everything we need to get you on because what an incredible story on so many levels, especially considering that when you were a kid, you you immediately knew what you wanted to do once you took that cruise. Take us back to that time where you decided, I mean, initially it was you want to be Julie from the Love Boat, right? I mean, what was it that crystallized your dream? Well, first of all, can I just say whenever my story is told, can you tell it? Because the way <laughs> you just told, I was listening going, is that me? That's amazing. For a fee, I'm happy to do that. Oh, you got it. You got it. Uh, well, yes, exactly. It started when I was 12 years old. I remember finding the cruise brochure under my parents' bed before dinner one night. And I brought it out and I basically ruined the surprise that they were taking us on this cruise. And it was our first big family getaway, the first big family vacation we'd ever taken. Four-day holiday on Premier Cruise Lines, the big red boat, the Atlantic. And at the time... <laughs> This big red boat was associated with Disney Cruise Line. It was like the original Disney Cruise Line because you had a, a land and sea adventure. So you would either go to the parks first and then on the ship or vice versa. So we were packing the car to drive home. And that's when I had that conversation with my dad, because honestly, I had spent the last four days with the cruise director and their staff just having a blast. I barely remember seeing my parents. The only reason that I know I did see them is because we have photos together. But um, the rest of the time I was making friends and just really enjoying life. And I thought, this is what I want to do when I grow up. But the only thing I could equate it to was the love boat. Exactly. You know, Julie. But I thought, wouldn't that be cool if you could take Julie and Captain Steubing and mash them into the same person? Well, your dad offhandedly says, heck, you could run the damn thing. But it's a big leap from that, Captain Kate, to the very difficult path that one must take to learn how to captain a massive cruise ship. 
Walk me through growing up in San Francisco and then actually taking that step to apply to the Cal Maritime Academy. So I was born in San Francisco, but we moved around quite a bit because of my dad's job. He was uh, he's a civil engineer. And so we lived all over the world, um, including London. They went to India while I was in college. But um, when I was in Augusta and it was time to decide where to go to college, I didn't know exactly where to go or what to do in order to follow this path. And my dad suggested California Maritime Academy because he had wanted to go to CMA. But he met my mom in Ethiopia in the Peace Corps. And when he came back and applied, they told him he was too old. So it was always my dad's dream at the back of his brain. But he had done the legwork and he knew exactly what I needed to do in order to to have uh-huh. this career. So mm-hmm. I think that was a huge help in, um, in getting... But When I went to California Maritime Academy, I didn't know port from starboard, bow from stern. This is everything that I learned. I learned at school. And, um, you know, every summer we would go on a training cruise and we would go to places like Nukahiba and Easter Island. And that's where the wanderlust really um, was instilled. And I thought, this is what I want to do, not only for my career, but for my life, you know, to see the world and be able to experience that. When you got to Cal Maritime, were there a lot of women like you who wanted this career? When I was attending from 1996 until 2000, my my starting class, I believe we had 11 when I started in in a core of about 100. When I graduated, there were eight of us. Um, And Mm -hmm. I was on a scholarship because at the time I was considered a minority because the fact that I was a woman and there weren't too many women that were um, that were going into these programs. So, um, you know, one of the, the great things I can say, though, is I was always treated like someone's younger sister, older sister or their mom in this environment. They were very protective. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that I think the four years that I spent at CMA are some of the best four years of my life because that was the environment that they instilled. And, and I still feel that when I go back and I visit the, the school, I've gone um, you know, to do some, some talks and things, but um, I, I just get that really warm fuzzy when I go back there. It's a great environment, which is really unique for this industry. Learning how to run a ship of that size. Uh, to, weren't you nervous? I've mm-hmm visited a bridge on on huge ships. And all I can think of is, I mean, backing out of my driveway is a big deal. I can't imagine moving something like that around. Tell me about the first time that they tested you on that. Uh, The very first maneuver I ever had was with one of the famous captains with Royal Caribbean, Captain Johnny Favelin. And I was just heaving up the anchor from Cabo San Lucas. Um, But yes, I was nervous. And to this day, there is still a nerve that goes off. We we call it our Norwegian ice. We're working on our Norwegian ice. And if you don't feel Norwegian ice in your in your gut, then you're doing something wrong. Because Mm. if you can just be blase about moving a 130,000 gross ton ship, then you probably shouldn't be in command of it. But it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It took 19 years from the time I started school until the time I was given my first command. And you you want that in a captain. You don't want someone that fast-tracked 
uh, because you learn so much every single contract that you go to see. Even this time that we've been out of service over the last year, I've become a pro at anchoring because that's what we're doing all the time where in normal operation, we don't have that experience. So um, you learn something every single time. And, um, you know, the day that I say I know everything is the day that I need to retire. So I imagine upon graduation, you're the one of the first women. This is incredible. You're considered a minority. You're like a unicorn. You have loads of offers to captain a ship, right? (laughs) At that time, um, I was working for a container ship company when I sent my resume out to every single cruise line in the industry. And I was one of the very few that graduated that wanted to go on cruise ships because there is a stigma that international shipping, you don't get paid the same. um, It's different contracts. All of that is just hogwash. But anyway, so when I graduated and I started working for this container company and sending out my resume, I sent it via snail mail and via email, which in 2000 was still a newfangled thing. And I wasn't hearing anything back. Nothing. So I changed my resume and I applied to be a bartender with Disney Cruise Line um, just to get my foot in the door. And I figured once my foot is in the door, then I can try and get my way to the bridge. Well, Disney took my resume and they looked at it and they go, she's not qualified to be a bartender because (laughs) I have never served a drink in my life, but she is qualified to be on the bridge of our ships as, as the lowest ranking bridge officer, which was the third officer at the time. So that's how I got my foot in the door as the third officer with Disney Cruise Line. Oh my God. So wait, so you apply as a bartender and that was the way that you got them to look at you through a different prism to then give you the gig you wanted in the first place? Yes, yes. Genius. I don't know who was running the different marine departments for, for the, the company, but some wonderful person in food and beverage was like, I think she belongs over there. <laughs> <laughs> not here. Please, not here. Not here. Well, so what was that first position like? The first position, it was it was a, a huge learning curve um, because it was the first time that I was basically on my own. Um, I learned quite a bit, but at the time, Disney Cruise Line only had two ships, so there wasn't a lot of room for growth or promotion because at the time they weren't building any, anything. So people were kind of stagnant in their roles, and I really wanted to move up. I wanted to to try new things, and so I applied to Royal Caribbean. And Royal Caribbean, um, they got my resume and they said, at this time, we don't have any positions, but they were also building new classes of ships, the Radiance class, the Voyager class. So there was a lot of room for growth. And four days after they got my resume and said, we don't have any openings, they called, they said, we would love to have you come over as second officer. And so I joined in 2003 as a second officer with Royal Caribbean and spent 13 years working my way up through the ranks from second officer to first officer deck, first officer navigation, first officer safety, chief officer safety, staff captain. And that's when I got the call for captain. So, (laughs) but let's talk about those echelons, those layers and layers of waiting and trying and scrapping and being persistent. Did you ever get frustrated at any point? Do you know, once I got it, my foot in the door and once I was actually doing it, I didn't feel um, that I was being stalled. In fact, the mentors that I had, and I mean the, the other officers that I worked with, the captains that I worked with, they were the ones 
who were actually keeping track of my sea time and saying, okay, you have two days more than what's required to sit for your next exam. You need to go take it. Instead of these grand vacation plans you have, you need to go take your exams and upgrade your license. They were the ones that were pushing because I was like, I've got time. I'll do this. I'll do that. And they're like, you know what? We know the master plan. And if you get it done now, there's an opening for the next promotion and the next one. And this is how my entire career has been. It's always been um, because of supportive people opening those doors. So one day in 2015, well after 2003, five, eight, you get a call from the president of Celebrity Cruises. What did that president say? Well, I had met the president, uh, Lisa Lutoff-Perla, who's the first female president and CEO of a large cruise company. I met her when I worked at Royal Caribbean when I was the staff captain. Uh, she came to Celebrity Cruises, and shortly after, I was sailing on the Quantum of the Seas with Royal Caribbean um, with my husband, who was the chief engineer, and I was a guest at the time. And he brought the phone into me when I was sleeping, and he said, it's Celebrity and I said, why is Celebrity calling me? And he said, because they want you to be a captain. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> now, now you're awake. Um, <laughs> Lisa, she, she said that when she met me at Royal Caribbean, um, you know, she didn't have the opportunity to promote me there because the position she was in. But when she came to Celebrity, this was one of the first things that she wanted to do because she had every staff captain's appraisal for the last, I think she said for the last three years. And my name was consistently at the top of the list, but I wasn't getting promoted. So she wanted to make sure that she paid it forward, um, you know, coming into this role. And so she said, would you come over to Celebrity Cruises as our first female captain? And my answer was, hell yeah. Um, but they wanted to keep it under wraps until it was announced publicly. And this was uh, about a month later. I asked her if I could tell my dad, though, and um, I said, can I tell him on Father's Day? And she said, absolutely. So she not only that, she did me one one better. And she wrote an email to me and told me why I was being promoted, what it was that um, that I meant to her that was was uh, why she was promoting me. And I took a bottle of champagne over to my parents house. I sat them down. Mom was eating ice cream. Dad was, you know, digging into something. And I gave my dad the letter and he started to read it out loud. And when he got to the point about being promoted to captain, he went silent, looked at me, looked back down at the letter. And when he looked at me again, the tears were rolling down his face. And my poor mom had no idea what was going on. Um, but it was one of the most proud moments of my life. And, oh. uh, and I got it on tape. Of course, you have to have that that memory. So um, that was pretty special. I, I'm getting misty out here because I, I can see it. The way you describe it, I can see it. Okay, so you take the job. Tell me about your first voyage as Captain KQ. You know, one of the things I really didn't expect, I always wanted to be the first female American captain. That was just my goal. I didn't think anybody else would care about that. But the external spotlight that came with that was really overwhelming. And coming over to Celebrity Cruises from Royal Caribbean, it was a new company, a new ship working with people I had never worked with before and a position I had never done, a new position. It was a lot to take in in its own. But then that external spotlight on top of it 
was really overwhelming. But at the same time, it was great because I they were asking these questions that really caused me to deep delve into myself to figure out who I am and what I wanted and, and how I do things. Um, and But I remember in the very beginning, I asked if I could step away from doing all of the media because it was becoming quite a bit. But what I figured out is when I stepped away from the media, I was getting the same questions that the media was asking, but I was getting them from our guest. And I realized that I had been given this platform to normalize a woman in this position. And if I took advantage of that platform and tried to normalize it, then the next woman that comes up doesn't have to go through the same questions. You know, the next woman isn't getting asked, are you the captain's wife instead of being the captain? Tell me that Um, hasn't happened to you. Seriously? Oh, love. Check my, I just posted (laughs) two on my TikTok. Yes. And, but they're so sweet. You know, the reactions I get from people when they find out that I'm the captain are really, really cute. I remember walking with my husband though, when I was staff captain, I had four gold bars on my sleeve. He had four gold bars as chief engineer. And um, someone came up to him and said, Oh, captain, you're doing a great job. And he turns them towards me and he says, no, she's the captain. And this gentleman just laughed. (laughs) My (laughs) husband did not. (laughs) I can. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's sort of like I hear from my friend who's head of the emergency room at a huge New York City hospital. And patients are always yelling at her, nurse, nurse. And she says, I'm the doctor. Yes. I mean, listen, we have to help people evolve. But you you have to kind of explain to me, because I look at these gigantic ships, and I can't Mm. imagine the sense of responsibility you have with thousands of passengers on board, and you're maneuvering through all kinds of weather and all kinds of drama. Give me some anecdotes about about. I guess, moments of fear and nervousness or drama? Well, you know, the great thing about the the most unnerving thing that we go through, the the thing that we can't control is the weather. Mm. But we have this incredible forecasting department, uh, Shoreside, that really assists us. And if it's coming, you know, they're on top of it, we're on top of it, and we hopefully move out of the way. So I don't really have any weather um, antidotes. But To this day, the highlight of my career was in 2017, in December, it was St. Nicholas Day, which is the patron saint of seafarers. I was up in the fun factory where the kids are, and I was uh, giving, you know, kind of a captain meet and greet when I got a call from my navigation officer on the bridge saying they heard a mayday on the radio of a sinking sailboat. So Mm. I rushed down to the bridge. And um, we couldn't find their location on the radar. So we used the radio direction finder to kind of track the sound and got an idea of where the sailboat was. So I maneuvered the ship and we were able to find them. They were taking on water. We put one of our tenders in the water with our medical staff and our security staff, went to the sailboat, picked up six people and brought them on board and come to find out that they had been adrift for three weeks, the last week without food and water. So they were living off whatever they could catch and rainwater. And they had had a meeting that morning. They got together and said, if no one comes by 2 p.m., we're going to have to jump into the sea in order to try and survive because the vessel was going down. Their sailboat Mm. was going down because it had lost its keel and its sail. 
And we came by at 1045 that morning. But the, the greatest thing from this story is, one, it was the captain of the sailboat's birthday. But also when we sent them through medical because they were suffering from dehydration and hypothermia, when um, they checked through medical, two of the women out of the, um, the crew, two of the women we found out were pregnant. So we didn't oh rescue six people that day. We rescued eight. eight. And uh, it was just, it was amazing because the way that the, it was, it was like a perfect lineup of things from the, the moment that the officer heard this. She also had taken a picture that morning of a rainbow and where the rainbow met the ocean is exactly where we found the sailboat. Crew members were going to the ATM and taking out cash to give to these people because they'd lost everything on the sailboat. They left everything behind. Um, guests were donating clothes. Um, it was just really restored your faith in humanity, how we look after each other. And I have one of the life vests from the sailboat in my house, hanging in my house, um, to kind of remind me of the responsibility that we have out here. And this is why not everyone could do this job. Yes, you can maneuver a ship. Yes, you can talk to guests. But are you comfortable to be responsible for up to 5,000 lives? Um, not everybody can do that. And that's that's one of the things. It's, it's also one of those things, if you think about all the time, it could drive you mad. So it's nice that the bridge is on the forward section of the ship, because if you look back at the 1,000 feet behind you and realize that there are people in every nook and cranny, um, it can get a bit overwhelming. But I have amazing people. You know, I don't do it by myself. I couldn't do it by myself. So they, um, they make sure everything is okay as well. And happy sailing. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So, you know, you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Can we talk about something that I'm sure was not the happiest moment, and that was a year ago? You know, a year ago, the World Health Organization announced that the COVID crisis was actually a global pandemic. The cruise industry has been hammered like no other industry. Can you reach back to a year ago and tell me what was happening in your world at that moment? 
Absolutely. So besides this rescue at sea, that week was uh, another highlight in my career because we were having a barrier breaking history making sailing because we had an all female leadership team on the Celebrity Edge, including the bridge team, all women. Even our pilots from Port Everglades were two women. Wow. Um, so we had gone into this cruise, our last revenue cruise, obviously not knowing what was going to happen. I was having dinner with my husband up in the buffet when I got a call again from the bridge saying our next port of call, St. Martin, had denied our entry the following day because we had certain guests on board that had visited countries within the last 21 days that were on the restricted list. And we were able to go into St. Martin. We worked with the port, we worked with the government, and we were the only ship that was able to go in. Um, But this is where I thought, okay, things are going to kind of get different uh, pretty soon. And then two days later, the voluntary pause and cruising was announced on the 13th of March. The March 15th is when we said goodbye to our guests uh, when we returned to Port Everglades. And we assumed, looking back, that we would see them again in two weeks to a month. That was our assumption. And mm-hmm. so we went into this voluntary pause on a high because, we one, we were coming off of this cruise, this, this history-making cruise. But two, because we were given an opportunity to really let our crew members experience the ship like they never had before, to experience it like guests. Um, we put on March 20th, we were the first ship to put our crew in balcony guest staterooms and not just regular balcony guest staterooms. We put them in the Royal suite. We put them in the penthouse. We put them in the largest suite at sea, <laughs> our iconic suite. We had them in the, the um, different dinner, dinner venues, you know, in the restaurants. We put on shows for them and played volleyball in the pool and really they were experiencing the ship like our guests do and so it was it was a high and because we went into this pause with the team that we had on board the majority still being the female leadership this ship became the most empathetic compassionate environment i have ever been in my life and Our role here is normally very technical. You know, we do the maneuvers, we take care of the ship, and you don't have a lot of room for creativity. But because of this leadership team that we had, the ideas and the initiatives that came out from each and every one of them really made a difference in our crew's lives to the point where our, our, I would say our lowest low was the fact that the world shut down and we couldn't get our crew members back to their families. It wasn't anything that we could do as a ship, as a company, even as an industry, because cruise ships and seafarers are not considered essential, even though seafarers bring 90% of the world's goods to your door. Mm. Um, and, and, and that was tragic because I, I think it was 1.2 million seafarers around the world could not get home um, because they weren't considered essential and travel was was not happening. So we needed to kind of change tactics um, and really just, um, one, adapt to the new protocols that we were getting anywhere from mask wearing to the quarantines that we were doing. Um, but, you know, every curveball that was thrown at us, the crew really knocked it out of the park. And this is why I have so much confidence in the return to cruising, because one, a cruise ship is an extremely controlled environment. Yes, there was negative press in the beginning, 
But here I was raising my hand, jumping up and down and saying, tell our story. Somebody talk to me because this is not my reality. What you're seeing on the news was not happening on board this ship or our sister ships that were sitting at anchor right next to us. Those stories weren't getting told. And that's why I really focused on social media, because that was a way that I could get some of the things that we were doing out there. Speaking of your social media, this is stunning. You have one and a half million TikTok followers. How many Instagram followers? Uh, that's a good question. I think 200 and 200,000. I, I, don't, I don't know, actually. You really have embraced social media to get your, get your story out. Some of it is hilarious. I was on your TikTok. Uh, your cat... You take your cat on every sailing, correct? Yes. She's a hairless cat named Bug Naked. She has her own Instagram as well. She's a very talented cat to keep up with Instagram without opposable thumbs. I mean, she is just something special, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> you've, you've mentioned your husband. How do you have a marriage aboard a ship? He's always on the same ship? No way. No, he's never on the same ship. That's one of the things, you know, being a chief engineer, we can't work together. He's not even in my company. He's in a different company. But I say the secret to a happy marriage is 12 time zones, because when you're separated by that amount, um, you do find ways to make it work. And this is our normal. Um, we were sailing together when I was a staff captain and he was a chief engineer. But when it came time for promotions, um, he was the one that said, you need to take these steps in order to, to grow. And he was very, very supportive the entire time. You know, when we first started sailing, we used to get to a port and we would run off the ship to this bank of pay phones. And we would spend 20 minutes on the phone before the next person was banging on the door saying, you know, your time's up. It's my turn. Now we have Skype. We have Messenger. We have free Wi-Fi right now. So I call him twice a day. He's in Italy at the moment, and uh, and we get to see each other. And I find that we spend more quality time when we're apart because we actually have things to talk about than when we are together. But when we do meet after three months, I normally do three months on board, three months off. When we do normally meet, um, it's like another honeymoon. And, and we really take advantage of that because when COVID hit, he was sailing for this International Women's Day cruise to support me. And I was supposed to go home with him on vacation on March 15th. But because my reliever couldn't make it to the ship because they had closed um, entry from Europe, I had to stay on board. And I said, don't worry, I'll see you in two weeks. That turned into seven months later. Mm. It's crazy what has happened. And, and I do believe that when you look at your career, the things that you have fielded and the things that you've endured and the 19 years, as you say, the journey of 19 years to become captain. I always explain to people who want to be in the broadcasting business. It's interesting that the number 19 is there because I talk to kids who want to be in broadcasting and they come and visit me at Fox Business and they see my office and they see framed magazine covers that I've been on. And I said, you think this is all pretty cool, right? And they, oh, yes, yes. And I say, it took me 19 years to get this office. Up until then, I never had an office. Even though I worked in broadcasting, I was in local news all over the place. I was at CNBC. I said, all this, these magazine covers, everything, this wardrobe, 19 years. 
that's when it started to happen for me. So what is your message to anyone, not just women, because I'm big on meritocracy, man, woman, Martian, give the best person for the job the job. What is your advice to people who feel that it's very, very hard to reach that goal? Because people want it way more immediately than it sometimes actually comes. Yeah, that that's the, um, you know, the marathon, not the sprint. And anything that's worth having, um, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And if it was immediate, um, the positions would be saturated and it wouldn't mean anything. You know, the journey is honestly the best part of this. Um, looking back and the things that I've experienced, the places that I've been, the people that I have met, I would never trade a single moment um, or a single minute that I put in to get where I am because I appreciate it. And I couldn't be sitting here if I hadn't put that time in. You know, you find out who you are along the way. And um, I think it's really important to be one, conscious of who you are and to know your strengths and weaknesses and how you can really work that into what you want to do. I was listening to the radio this morning and they were talking about um, a Buzzfeed quiz that they took and they, they said, you know, your job, should you love your job or should you just do your job so that, um, you know, you're comfortable and you're making a living. And they all answered the latter. And I thought, I, I have no idea what, a dead end job is because I've never had one um, because I figured out what my passion was very early on. And I set that as a, my goal um, and it served me really well. But along the line, I've also really learned who I was when I was a staff captain, I was sent to Sweden for psychological evaluation. Um, and this is something that they do for all positions. It wasn't just like, Oh, Kate, you go to Sweden and take some tests. They want to make sure that you're sound to look after anyone from one person to 5,000 plus. You go through this series of testing and at the end, they sit you down and they go through the results. And the gentleman that was going through my results said everything was great, but, and I thought, oh, here it comes. And I'm racking my brain, like thinking about, you know, my biggest insecurities. What did I say? What did I do? He said, I find you tend to smile too much. And I thought, cool. Like if I'm going to have a flaw, give me that one all day long. I said, great, no problem. Thank you very much for your time. I went home. I told my friends. I told my family. They said, you didn't have to fly to Sweden. We could have told you that for free. But when I was, when I was going to take over as captain and I was leaving the house, my husband reminded me of that. And he said, don't smile. You won't be taken too seriously. Well, don't listen to your husband. Because the first two weeks I spent of this familiarization, all I could think of was don't smile, don't smile, don't smile. But when you've wanted something so badly since you were 12 years old and all of your dreams have now come true, you can't help but smile. So I said, sought it. I'm going to be me. And honestly, it has been smooth sailing ever since. Because when you find out who you are and then you can interject your personality and your passion into what you do, you bring something to the table that nobody else has been able to do. And that is the secret for success. So figure out who you are and then find a way to put that into what you do. Captain Kate McHugh, what a thrill to hear your story. Thank you so much. And tell your cat we said hello. And I love your TikToks. I'm going to continue looking at them to get your unbelievable take on what it's like to be out on the great blue yonder. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Liz. Many happy sailings. And thanks to all of you guys for tuning in every day and also for listening to the Everyone Talks to Liz podcast. Tell me this isn't the most inspirational podcast out there. Okay, I'm so much better than Katie Carrick. Hello. Just kidding. Uh, Thank you. And uh, I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network's Claim and Countdown. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.